part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, I think every parent has been there. If you have a child that is of uh, age where they can speak, you've, you've heard this. Where they come up to you and you've done something that is very loving, Maybe it was stern, maybe it was correction, maybe it was something like that. And from your child's mouth, this one that you would give your very life for, you hear these words, Mom, Dad, you you don't love me. Have you ever been there before? The most loving thing you can do is discipline them, correct them, and yet they don't feel that. Maybe, you know, intellectually they can't even comprehend that, but the feeling is not there, and so they use that old phrase, "You, you just don't love me. This isn't the loving thing to do. Well, folks, you may actually feel that way about the sermon this morning, that, you know, as we read God's truth, there's a part of the passage that we have in Romans 8 as we come to this that intellectually, especially gospel-centered, it's going to make complete sense, but sometimes it's just not going to make emotional sense. That's why we're going to talk about how God has promised for those that are in Christ, that have trusted the finished work of Christ, how that is complete. We saw that last week in Romans 8.1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so he paints that picture of those people that are in Christ, and today he begins to talk a little bit about those that are not in Christ. And he uses two terms that in one way you can see as derogatory by today's standards and, you know, in our touchy-feely society that, you know, we've got to be so politically correct. And, and Paul draws this line down the middle of saying, okay, these people, this, this is what Christians have and, and this is what non-Christians have. And he's not trying to say that Christians are better people than non-Christians. He's not trying to say that, okay, you know, you're just the perfect people and uh, these are the low-life people. That's not the distinction that he makes. He just is making a declaration of those who have been founded in Christ and those who are not in Christ. And yet when we begin to really process that and we really put it into everyday life, it really gets kind of emotional for us. Because I don't know that there's a person out there that somewhere in your family, somewhere in your immediate family perhaps even, there's just a good old Joe. Good old Joe has never trusted Christ. If you just asked him if he believed in Christ, he would even tell you, no, I don't really care that much for all that religion stuff. But Joe is good. By earthly standards, by, by our standards, you know, maybe he's a farmer that gives off, you know, 25% of his crop to somebody else, and he's just this helpful person, the person who truly would give you the shirt off of his back. And we all have people like that in our lives, and, and there's like, you know, surely there's got to be a place in heaven, if not heaven, maybe really close to heaven, for people like good old Joe. There's a problem with that. And it's a biblical problem. It's not what the Bible says. I know the emotions of it. Guys, I've done over 400 funerals uh, over these years, and I've been so blessed that 99.9% of those have been people that really had an active, trusting faith in Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, there is nothing more sad than officiating over a funeral when even the family knows that that person didn't trust Christ. It's just just a hard, hard time. It's very discouraging. It's very heavy. And so I know the emotions of it. I've been there with families. I've held their hands. I've, I've cried tears with them before. And, and yet at the same time, it's just like when that child comes up and says, oh, you just don't love me. What do you give in to them? Okay, I want to prove my love, and so I'm going to make the rules, your rules. And yes, you can have ice cream even though it's 11 o'clock at night. You know, you can eat the whole half gallon if you want to. You, you wouldn't do that with your child. Most of you probably wouldn't do that with your child. And, you know, it's one of those things you just said, that's not really the most loving thing that I could do. 
And and yet you're probably not going to be held captive or held ransom by that three-year-old, five-year-old, 13-year-old, you know, that's going to say, well, if you really love me, you'd let me eat this whole half gallon of ice cream, even though, you know, I've already had cookies, this, that, and the other. No, your, your wisdom, your responsibility, the truth of being a parent would rule out at that point, and you wouldn't cave in to that emotional play, well, yeah, I, you just don't love me. Neither does the Word of God cave in to truth. We just sang about how one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone who has ever been born from the beginning of time to the end of time will do that, folks. It is promised in God's word. That does not mean that everybody will come to faith. That everybody puts their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ doesn't mean that. It just means that one day there will be that truth that will be acknowledged. But the Bible does make sure that we know now why we're living and, and breathing and living this life that there really is a distinction and a sharp contrast between those that are in Christ and those that are not in Christ. And we just don't like that in our world. We, we, we again, live in a pretty politically correct world. And, and, but I want you to know this, and Paul wants you to know this, because all those promises that we will find in Romans chapter 8 last week about how there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that's only for Christians. You know, and we can say, well, you know, we really want that to be kind of like for everybody. Can't everybody just kind of live life however they want to? And when they get before God one day, they say, okay, it's, it doesn't really matter. No, he is a just and a holy God. As much as he is a loving God, he is a God of wrath against sin. And, and, and that's really hard for us in our loving stage, even as Christians. We, you know, we want that softer side of, of God. In fact, I heard somebody say it this way one time. They said, you know, I just like that God of the New Testament because that God of the Old Testament... He's kind of fierce. He's kind of mean. And I tried to, as lovingly as I could, say, well, it's the same God. He said that he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He didn't change. But what we now have is Christ. We see the fulfillment. God still has wrath upon sin, all of our sins. Every time that I do something that is contrary to his law, God doesn't have a wrath. But guess where that wrath has been absorbed into now? Imputed, the Bible would say. The work of Christ. Why? Because I've trusted Christ as my Savior. And so today we're going to find in this middle passage or this beginning passage there, Romans chapter 5, starting with verse, uh, or chapter 8, starting with verse 5, that uh, we're going to find some things in some language that Paul uses that uh, is pretty stark. And there's going to be an emotional side of us that wants kind of a, a softer tone. And we're just not going to find it. It's not biblical. But we shouldn't be surprised because, you know, when we look at the Bible and we look at the language of the Bible, the Bible is pretty sharp in contrast. For example, life and death. You know, the Bible talks about those that are in Christ have life. Those that are not, they, they have death. And the Bible talks throughout as spiritual life is not based on our goodness. It's not based on how much we really tried that day. It says, okay, you're either in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you have life and life full and abundant, eternal. If you're not, you're dead. And, and it, that even now as we would live life, that I in Christ right now get to live the fullness of life, the abundant life. But if we're not in Christ, I can live life, but there's a sense of death even to that. Bible's not trying to, to sit there and hurt feelings. He's just trying to say this is the truth of being in Christ. Another thing that we see sometimes is that we see, again, that clear dec- declaration of heaven and hell. We see that there's, you know, that those that are in Christ will spend eternity with God. Those that are not in Christ, who have not put their trust and their faith in Christ's finished work, 
will be separated from God for all eternity. And I, I know a lot of friends that say, well, you know, I get the whole heaven part. I just don't know that I really believe the whole hell part. Well, see, that's the problem, folks. God has not given us, you know, he has not made the Bible a word document that we can cut and paste. He's not made it to where we can just say, well, you know, I don't really think I agree with that because that's kind of harsh. And so can I just delete that? Can I just kind of hit this button on this section? Let's leave the heaven part. Let's leave this. And God never gives us that option. He never gives us that opportunity to say, okay, I feel like that's kind of harsh, even judgmental. And so that's what Paul begins to talk about. Uh, He's going to use words, the spirit in the flesh, the spirit, those who are in Christ. And we're going to see specifically that when he talks about the spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, that when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, God himself indwells you. You just don't be, you know, you don't just become like this Christian and you start doing better. No, God himself, if you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, the very spirit of God, the Holy Spirit indwells you. The Bible uses that term, the flesh, to describe those that do not have the Holy Spirit. And and as we saw back in Romans chapter 7, Paul's already said, hey, look, even when you're a Christian, can you still live in the flesh? What did he say in chapter 7? Yeah. He said, remember what he said in 7.15? The very things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And, And so even though when we have the very Holy Spirit, you know, the very Spirit of God within us, doesn't mean that we're making all the right answers. It just means that that penalty has been paid by the finished work of Christ. Uh, we see that again in places like Ephesians where Paul is talking about dark and light. He says, okay, you can live in darkness, you can live in light. All these different contrasts that we have, that we get to, to see in the Bible, the Bible doesn't make this middle ground. And yet I promise you, not only as a culture, not just as a society, but as humanity, we want a gray area. We kind of want this middle area that we can just kind of say, okay, what about that area that, you know, they're not so bad. It's not like they've killed anybody. But I I wouldn't say that they're really, you know, a Christian. They haven't put their faith and trust in Christ. And there is a strong desire, even with us that maybe would gather here today. God, isn't there kind of this middle area? Folks, the most loving thing that Paul could ever do, that Christ ever does, is tell us the truth. Hey, there's darkness, there's light. There, there is a heaven, there's a hell. There is those that are in Christ, those that are not in Christ. Those are going to be filled with the Spirit and live and the Spirit of God is in them and those that don't have the Spirit. And he's not saying that to her feelings. He is a good, he's acting like a good daddy, spiritual daddy to us. He says, I just want you to know the truth. And I love you so much that I'm not going to let you kind of color in something that's not there. Well, that prepares us to see what's in verses 5 through 11 because it, it's really kind of, number one, it's a little bit confusing. It's, uh, the wording is not just straightforward, and it is going to sound a little bit harsh. It's going to be one of those things that when you read it, you're going, you know, I don't know that I really understand all that it says there. So let's open our Bibles, Romans chapter 8. Remember last week, Paul said, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he began to talk about how uh, those that are in Christ have been forgiven of every past sin, every present sin, and even our future sins. Even sins that you and I may not have even, you know, we haven't even anticipated that all of that is covered by the finished work of Christ. We'll talk a little bit later on of why that's so necessary. In fact, let me go ahead, why I brought it up, let me go ahead and talk about it even right now. You know, God wants you and I to have the security of where we are 
and our standing with him. You, you can say our standing of heaven or hell. You can say our standing of, of does he love us, does he not love us. God doesn't want you to be in a quandary. Remember back when you were 13, 14, 15 years old and you wondered if that boy or if that girl really liked you. You know, you would always send out a scout first, especially guys. We usually do that. You know, we just send out a scout. And sometimes maybe it was a guy friend that would go ask that girl's friend. And we would kind of find, you know, if I asked her out, I'm just saying if, would she go out with me? And then you would find out from that friend to the friend, back to your scout, and you would come back, thumbs up. She said that she would probably go. And then in that boldness of that assurance that you would go out there and say, hey, would you like to go out Friday night? You know, all of a sudden you had an assurance. But can you remember those times in, in your lives that uh, maybe you really were, I mean, your heart just beat for this person, and yet you didn't know if they liked you or not, and that lack of assurance? I mean, I don't know if they're going to say yes or no. I don't know how many of you guys that are married now that when you proposed, I don't know if you knew, okay, yeah, she's going to say yes. Or, you know, if you were sitting there just waiting in anticipation, you know, probably one of the worst things is uh, when, you know, you present that ring, you're down on a, a knee and you present that ring, will you marry me? I'm going to pray about it. You know, that's not the answer you want. You want an immediate yes. You want a glowing yes. You want this, yeah, of course I will. That takes away any doubt whatsoever. Well, God wants that for you. He doesn't want us to go through life where we're just doubting, okay, are we going to go to heaven or hell? Or does God love us or does he not love us? You know, you know, how does this all work? And so this is why he has said the things that he does. And they may sound stark, may sound harsh, but it's God's truth. And I, I pray that we would understand that this morning. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So, so from the very beginning, he's, he's kind of saying, okay, there's two declarations. There's kind of two camps here, and you're in one camp or the other. And he calls one the flesh. He's not trying to be derogatory. He's just said, okay, you're just kind of acting like your human nature would act. And how does our human nature act? It has some good and some bad. Because we're made in the very spirit of God, in the image of God, we are image bearers, and that's why even people who are not Christians can do some very nice things. You know, the Christians, we have not cornered the market on being nice. There's a lot of people that are not Christians, have not put their faith and trust in Christ, and yet they're nice people, maybe even very moral people. The only difference is they're not perfect any more than we are. And if they haven't trusted Christ, they're, they're still paying for their own sins. So that's the difference. And, and Paul calls those the people that are living according to the flesh, their human nature. And then he, he paints another picture. And he says, but there's also people that are living according to the spirit. Now, what do you notice about that uh, word spirit there? Do you notice anything? Capitalized. Now, why do you think, Bruce, that that is capitalized? Okay, it's the Holy Spirit of God, what we call the spirit of God. So is, this isn't just, okay, we're, we're, these, we're these spiritual beings. He says the Holy Spirit when you live according to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells in you. Now, when does that happen? Folks, that happens when we trust and believe the gift that Christ died in our place. There will be different denominations, and there are different interpretations. I'll be the first one to admit that there's different ones that said, okay, uh, you know, you, Christ saves you, you become a Christian, but it's not until you get baptized, you're not until you do this or this, until you get the Holy Spirit. But the Bible makes it very, very clear and, and so many different passages, that it's not dependent upon works. It's all the grace of God, this amazing grace that he gives us. 
And so it's not like we can even get baptized in order to get the Spirit. No, the, the Spirit begins to fill us, and we see that even more in verse 9 and some of those verses following. So God, Paul is making this declaration. He said you have people that live kind of according to the flesh and people that live according to the Spirit. And he's not trying to make a declaration that these people are just better than those people. These are just really all the people that are good, and these are all the people that are bad. I promise you, Paul was the first one. What did he call himself? The chief of all sinners. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the chief of all sinners. Paul didn't have this gloating about himself like, man, I have arrived. I am, I am better than everybody else. I can walk the law better. He said, no, I'm the chief of all sinners. But he knew who he was in Christ. And so here he's talking about the Holy Spirit comes upon those people that have put their trust in Christ. And here's his point. Before we are a Christian, we kind of live by our own, own rules. It doesn't mean that we don't know the Ten Commandments. doesn't mean that we haven't kept some of the Ten Commandments. But we kind of still have this mentality of living according to our own rules. We have a mindset of that. But after we become a Christian, one of the things that we see as the evidence of Christ now in our lives and the Holy Spirit of God actually in our lives is that our mind begins to change. All of a sudden, it's not that we get it right. It's not like we ace every test that's out there. But we begin to, to think differently. It doesn't mean that it happens overnight. It just means that slowly but surely, God begins to, to work in our lives. One of the things that we begin to, to process a little bit more clear is uh, the temporal between the eternal. Before a Christian, uh, a lot of our focus is on the temporal. Man, am I, how am I going to live this life? How fun is this life going to be? As we have Christ in our life, as the Spirit of God begins to come, we begin to focus not just on this life, but what? On, on the next life. We begin to say, okay, I, I'm going to spend eternity with God in heaven. And that's why even some of the songs that you sing this morning, Ricky, we begin to see that reflection even in our worship. That, okay, God, yes, I want to worship you right now, but one day I'm, I'm going to be with you. And we begin to have this eternal thought process that changes because we're grounded by the Holy Spirit now into truth. When God comes in to live in you, he gives you the power to begin to think unlike you did before. See, that's where I think a lot of times we get Christianity wrong. We get Christianity in our mindsets, thinking that we just become better moral people. And certainly there should be evidence of that. There should be evidence that, that we are uh, you know, obeying God's words and commands more and more, that there's an evidence of that being fruit in our life. But the Bible never points to that in, in just a walk of morality as the evidence of Christ in lives. No, it's a total transformation. It is not just a slight adjustment. In other words, I wasn't just kind of going toward God, and I needed kind of a little you know, help in the right way, kind of a push in the right way. If we understand what the Bible says, that in our own nature, in our human nature, we were actually going opposite of God. We're going the other ways. And the Bible uses really harsh terms. Again, this would be easy to be offended here today if we didn't know the fullness of the good news of Christ. Because it says that we deserve the wrath of God, the judgment of God. Now, folks, a lot of times, especially in our culture, we don't like to do that. Fall fest when that comes up in two weeks? I don't know that, you know, that most of us want to go out there and say, hey, you know, yeah, we just want to tell you about the wrath of God, you know. At the same time, it's, you know, we want to tell them about the love of God. I understand what we want to proclaim and what we want the message to be. And yet, when we ignore that there is a wrath, that, that's not very loving. 
because all of a sudden, you know, there will be a, that price to pay it. And, and how foolish that would be to pay your own price when Christ has said, I have died for you and I take your place. Put your trust and faith in that. And so we begin to see this develop and, and you know, God is there and he's given us not just this direction to, to be a, a good and better us. You know, he really has given us this opportunity now to, to be totally transformed from the inside out. Look what it says in Romans 8.6, the next verse. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. He says, where does that lead? It eventually leads to death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now, what does he mean by that? I mean, we could give a, a, you know, a firm mental and even spiritual assent to that. And go, yeah, that just makes sense. Sounds really spiritual. The flesh is death. The spirit, Christian things, those are life and peace. But what does he mean by that? means that even in this lifetime, it certainly has an internal effect, but in this lifetime, there's, there's certain things that because now the Holy Spirit of God lives in us, it gives us an opportunity to think differently. Let me take marriage, for example. Marriage is one of those things where we're told, you know, that uh, biblically, Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I understand that. I, I, I desire that. I don't live that a whole bunch. Because every time that I really want to be, you know, what was Christ's example for the church? He died sacrificially. So the call is into a, a sacrificial love. And you know what I feel in my own heart? This very selfish love. You know, do this for me. And, and so I, I'm at war, and that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 7. He says, you know, just because we have the Spirit now doesn't mean that the flesh, even though it has been, you know, crucified in Christ, doesn't mean that it's just it's dead. It means now we're in this tug of war. But he says, the more that we set our mind to the Spirit, we're going to have life and peace. And all of a sudden, our mind begins, our actual, even if you want to say your brain. Now, when he says, you know, mind there, he's not just talking about your brain as an organ in your body. He's talking about your mindset. But he said, you know, as we read the scriptures, we see the example of Christ, as we see the Holy Spirit beginning to, to work in our lives to change the way we think, that it gives us a whole new way of approaching even something like marriage. Okay, I'm supposed to sacrifice for my wife. That could be as simple as sacrificing time, energy, love. It could be a lot of different things, but that's the sacrifice that God calls me to. So every time this selfishness comes up, and I promise you it comes up, the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, God living within me, gives me the ability to say, okay, Bobby, I will give you the power to do that. Now let me go back and and make a quick uh, word here. Folks, even from this, though, I'm not saying that every non-Christian marriage is a terrible marriage and that every Christian marriage is a wonderful marriage. No, th- this is the opportunity that God gives us. This means it's a guarantee. Again, Romans chapter 7, Paul said, I can live in the flesh, man. <laughs> just because I have the Spirit now, just because I'm a Christian and Christ has paid for all my sins, doesn't mean that all of a sudden you know, I'm acing the test. But now God within me, the very Spirit of God within me, gives me both the ability, the power and the desire to live this way. That's the difference, guys. That's the difference that he begins to, to, to make. He's not trying to say good people over here, bad people over here. He's saying here's the ones that have seen the gift of Christ, trusted it for their salvation and their rightness with God, and now they're letting it transform their life. 
See, for example, when it comes to forgiveness, we want justice. And even when you start thinking, you know, even those people that say, oh, I don't really believe in a heaven and hell. Well, I'll, I'll take heaven, but I really don't like hell. Even those people that may have a little bit of that thought process, let's be real with one another. Real. Do you think that there should be a place for really, really bad people? I mean, when you think about child molesters, when you start talking about, you know, some of those heinous crimes, and we're going, man, there should be. A, do you have a problem? Do you have a moral problem in your own mind, in your own emotions, for there to be a really bad place for really bad people. I don't think, you know, people I talk to don't. They go, man, there should be that place like that. And, and do you have a, 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 you know, a struggle with a good place for what we term to be good people? No. See, we don't have a dilemma so much with heaven and hell. It's just, who gets to go to heaven and hell? And we want hell to be for the really extremely bad people. But that's not the basis that God ever put it on. Here's the truth that he said about us, not to hurt our feelings, but just to tell us truth. He said, you want to know? If it came down to bad people, every one of you are bad. He said, not one of you have been able to do every one of my commandments, uh, you know, perfectly. And, and he even said, if you just broke one, because you might say, well, I've never done adultery. He said, if you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. And so we're all in this human race. We're all in this fallen race. Because we are, the Bible said, we're the sons of Adam. In other words, we have inherited that from the very beginning, from Adam. And now we have this opportunity. God saw our dilemma. He knows our dilemma. And that's when he says, okay, I'm going to give you opportunity to have all of that erased, all that taken care of, all of that paid for so that you don't have to pay for it yourself. If you were going home today and you decided you wanted to go about 70 instead of 55, and all of a sudden, one of our friendly law enforcement officers decides to, to pay you a quick visit on the side of the road. And he writes your ticket out for $200. And about that time, you know, Radley's coming right behind you. And Radley sees your dilemma and he says, oh, $200, man, I'll, I'll pay that for you. Is that a nice guy? Yes. I mean, it was our crime. It should be our payment. And, and yet Radley comes up and he says, okay, I'll, I'll pay it for you. Well, that's what Christ has done, folks. Every one of us were in this dilemma, and every one of us needed uh, uh, someone to, to forgive us. And, and he said, not only will I forgive you, but I will pay that payment for you. That's what the gospel is. That's what the good news is. And it can't be earned. It's not meant on, on our goodness or our badness. It's meant on, it's a free gift. So look what he says. Romans 8, verse uh, 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now again, this doesn't mean that everybody who's not a Christian is this evil person going out there doing evil. What it says is their sin separates them from a holy God. And he says you can't be pleasing to God. Here's one. If you don't hear anything else this morning, please hear this. You could try with all your efforts, with all your efforts, be the best person in the world. And without Christ, you can never please God. Folks, we're not somewhat dependent on Christ. We're not mostly dependent on Christ. We are 100% dependent on Christ. The Bible said if we don't have Christ, we have nothing else to preach. 
He said, well, man, there's still a lot of other good stuff in the Bible. He said, no, it's all meaningless without the, the work of Christ. That's how central everything in the Bible, it all comes to him. From Genesis to Revelation, everything is about Christ. The preparation for Christ, the coming of Christ, and now life after Christ has come. Everything points back to what he did for us. And so it's one of those things, the Bible is just trying to tell us the truth, and it seems harsh in verse 7 and 8, about, yeah, the flesh is hostile to God, can't please God. Because even with, I mean, if we were Mother Teresa, if we were giving our life to the poor, and we were living in Calcutta, and, and, and ministering to these people that were, you know, not able to minister to themselves, the Bible says, even if you did that for 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, there's still going to be at least one or two or three or four or five sins in your life. And that would separate you from the holy God. Folks, we didn't need a little redirection. We didn't need just kind of a little push. We were on our way to goodness and, and, and holiness and we just need a little push. No, what we needed was one who would forgive us. And I promise you, I can identify with, identify with Paul. I don't know how many sins I've ever done. It would be impossible to count. I just know that I needed a complete forgiveness. Well, let's look what it says, verse 9. He makes a contrast there. He says, okay, this is how the people in the flesh, are. these the people that have not trusted Christ, they can't please God because there's, there's not enough good work that they could do. Now look what he says in verse 9. You, however, see how he's changing the tone? Because he's talking to Christians now. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. He said, this is his way of saying, You've trusted Christ. That's all he's saying there. You have the very Spirit of God in you. The Holy Spirit has come. Not because you're good and these people were bad. You've trusted Christ. If and in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Basically what he's saying is there is no middle ground. Uncle Joe, sweet. Give the shirt off your back, Uncle Joe. He's either in Christ or he's not. Sweet mama that just raised you and loved you, she's either in Christ or she's not. Everyone here this morning, you're either in Christ or you're not. And folks, in a politically correct world, when we're not supposed to step on toes, and we're not supposed to offend, and we're not supposed to you know, hurt feelings, that can sound so hurtful. And even for the Christian, there would be a certain part of us that says, you know, man, I wish he'd get on to the rest of the chapter because there's some really good promises in the rest of the chapter. Can we just kind of get off of this? But Paul is painstakingly really establishing this before he gives out all these promises because he doesn't want there to be one person in this church in Rome that would kind of be mis, you know, led to think that somehow they're going to go to heaven when they really weren't. That somehow they, they're going to get these treasures of Christ and, and, and they're not. See, ultimately, as a pastor, when Daryl stood here, when I stand here, ultimately, as a teacher in a life group, ultimately, our job is not to appease people. Our job is not to make everybody just really feel really good about themselves. Our calling is, is this, preach the truth of the gospel and preach it in love. Truth in love. And the most loving thing is that when we come upon really hard passages like this, that really are, I mean, it grates against our emotions that we would still preach it with the truth and not water it down and say, well, you know, 
Maybe Aunt Sally, because she was really, really good, maybe she got at least her toes in heaven. Let's just hold out for that. Or let's just invent this. You know, there are some denominations, there are some folks that have uh, left biblical teaching and they've made a middle place. Okay, you weren't really all that bad. You really weren't all that good. We're just going to make this middle place. It's not, find it in the Bible, folks. It's not there. And so the most loving thing that we see here is that, that Paul just tells us the truth. And the truth wasn't, you know, this difference of being in the flesh or in the spirit wasn't how many times they went to church. It wasn't, you know, if they were good people. It wasn't if they, you know, did this or that. It was all completely based on the work of Christ. Have they trusted in Christ? Perhaps one of the most dangerous trends that we see in modern religion, spirituality, quasi-Christianity, is wanting Christ to be more of a life coach than a savior. And it happens a lot. I can turn on the TV this afternoon and, and I can hear some messages and Christ is there to be your buddy. He's there to kind of help you out and kind of steer you in the right direction, give you some keys for life, a life coach. No, folks, he's a savior. And he did not come to be a life coach. He came to save us. He came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Well, Bobby, are you, are you absolutely sure that there's not just like this little place of middle ground? Are you sure that, you know, works and all those kind of things don't, don't help out a little bit? Let me ask you some logical questions. You're smart people. How good is good enough? I mean, if you just really had to put it down, how good, if there truly was, if, if heaven and hell was, was just based on nothing but goodness and, and the actions of man rather than the actions of the man, Jesus Christ, where are you going to put that? Now, a lot of people say, well, just for convenience, say, let's just put it in the middle. As long as you do more good than more bad, that will get you into heaven. Does that seem sensible? I mean, if you just kind of throw out biblical truth, <laughs> you know. If you just had to pick a place, that where, where do good people go and, okay, the bad people go? Well, have you ever thought about this? What if you're one good thing away from heaven? Is that fair? Have you ever had a class, have you ever been in a class, and, and you were one-tenth of a point from getting the next letter grade? That happened to my daughter last, last semester. And, and, and she wrote to the professor, you know, look, it's an 89.98. Can't you just give me an A? You know, it's almost an A. Well, let's say that he did that. Well, what about the next person? said, so, okay, it was an 89.57. What about, okay, I can round that up because it's 89 over 0.5, so I can round it up. Well, what about 89.49? Do you, do you see the dilemma there? Do you see that, you know, the, where's going to be that line? Here's the other part, folks. If we did it on good works, if we did it on good works, and we just said, okay, it's on how good you are and how many commandments you could keep as opposed to all the ones that you broke, well, what if you're 85 years old and you've lived apart from Christ all your life, all your life, but at 85 you decide that you just desire God. Well, if I do the math real quick, I better live to 170. 
in order to take care, you know, 85 good years to take care of those 85. I mean, do you get it? And, and, and I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying, do you see where we take that logically when we try to put it down to good works? It's, it's not efficient. It's, it's, it's not, it would never give you that assurance. And why Paul writes in such harsh terms, it is black and white terms. I'll be the first one to tell you that this really steps on a lot of people's toes. Man, the flesh, the spirit, I want to be the spirit. I don't want to be the flesh. We could see that as offensive terms, but it's biblical truth. Here's the good news of the gospel. Whether you're 85, I read an article yesterday. This was the most amazing thing. The guy's 102 years old. His wife has been praying for him for 24 years that he might trust Christ as his Lord and Savior. And at 102 years old, he he trusts Christ to be his Savior. Is that cool? See, that's the good news of the gospel. That whether you're, you know, you're, you're young, you're middle-aged, you're, you're older, that, that Christ has made this offer. He said, I have died for your sins. Will you trust in this? Are you trusting your own goodness, your own ability to walk this straight line? Or do you trust that I walked that straight line? I walked a life of perfection for you, and I will pay that price for you. That's the good news of the gospel. That's why Paul could use such harsh terms unapologetically. Because he wasn't doing it finger-pointing, trying to say the good side and the bad side. You're the saved. You're the great unwashed. Now, he wasn't trying to do it. He was just saying, hey, guys, Christ is there. Will you put your faith and your trust in him? That's why it's called amazing grace and not amazing works. Can you imagine singing that song? Amazing works. How sweet the sound because I've walked the right way since I was five. And we'd have to rewrite that whole, you know, old hymn if we based it on works. But we said, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Because it's all dependent on Christ. And he is the sufficiency. This morning, God does not want you to, to live a life lacking the assurance of heaven or hell, saved or not, in the spirit or in the flesh. He has said this, you can know, you can know this. How can we know this? Because all of a sudden we have a life change and we're the best husband, the best wife, the best this, the best mom, the best dad. No. He said, here's how you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. And when you put your faith in the finished work of Christ, what does the word finished mean? It's time. Nothing left to do. He didn't get you 99.9% of the way and say, okay, Bruce, you close it out, big guy. Just you close it out with a couple of good works. No, he said, I've completely done it. To the thief dying on the cross beside Christ, as they put his, play, his trust and faith in him, mean, this, this man is different. This man is, we're, we're here justly. He's there unjustly. And Jesus turns to him. He doesn't have another 30, 40, 50 years to go out and do good deeds, to kind of earn the stripes of being a good Christian. To that thief who is dying on the cross that would die that day, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's the hope of the gospel. It's not cheap grace. It's amazing grace. It's not cheap. It costs Christ his very life. 
And yet that's the, that's the only thing that we read in the Bible as a way of truly having this life that God wanted us to have. Let's pray together today. Father God, we, we love you and we thank you. And Father, we come upon passages like this when, when Paul was really using some pretty harsh language. And Father, if we just think about it emotionally, it, it, it's, it is kind of upsetting that he would call somebody in the flesh and another person in the spirit. And yet, Father, we believe that this is not really Paul's words. This, this is your word. Father, you inspired Paul to write them down and you, you gave him message. But, Father, we truly believe that we're not holding John and Peter's and Paul's words. We're holding your truth. And so, Father, as we begin to see these many blessings and promises of Romans 8, Father, it, we see that it is good that Paul took the time to kind of do a little sidebar and, and kind of say, okay, just want you to be clear that before we talk about all these amazing promises that you can call God, Abba, Father, that, that nothing can ever separate you from his love, all these great things, Father, that you tell us in Romans 8, Father, you took the time so that we would know, that we would know, that we would know, that we would know that there is no hope in us that all the hope was in your son, Jesus Christ. And that you gave him as a gift, you said, that as we put our faith and trust in him, that we will be saved. So Father, thank you. That it was not on our goodness, it was not on our ability to be perfect. But Father, today we can be called Christian. And we can be in Christ because you gave us this great gift of your son. Father, it truly is amazing grace. And it truly is a sweet sound. Draw us, Father, today into time of decision and, and just evaluation of our lives, assurance of our salvation for those who have trusted you. And Father, even call those that, that maybe have really kind of has that, that works mentality. Father, show them that it's your son and your son alone, even this day. As we pray all this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.